Hello and welcome to the Rice Historical Review podcast. My name is Oswal Varenga and I'm with Melissa Carmona and Jujuta Palaszczuk. We're the co-directors of podcasting for the Rice Historical Review and today we'll be talking with Dr. Swayfer Irish. She is a professor in the Department of History at Rice as well as director of Medieval and Early Modern Studies program. Her research specializes in medieval Europe, especially Iberia and the borderlands. Hi. So thank you for being here. I guess I'll start with the first question. So during your undergraduate and graduate education, what drew you to studying interfaith relations in medieval Spain and the Mediterranean? Well, as you may know, I was born in the Soviet Union, um, which was a a multi-ethnic empire, um, both before the revolution and after. And um, my own family comes from several ethnic and religious backgrounds. And um, so I, was always, I always had this interest in um, understanding how people with different religious beliefs and of a different racial or ethnic identity, how they interacted with each other and how they got along or didn't get along. Um, so that, I was interested in that even before I settled on um, the idea of studying the Middle Ages. So I, I, I had this several... Um, several ideas of how I, I always knew I liked history. I wanted to study, to study history since I was uh, in high school. Uh, but um, it, it's kind of several, my, several of my interests came together. And um, I had an interest in the Middle Ages as well, which was kind of a separate interest. Um, mainly because it was not, I did not want to study Russia. I was tired of living Russian history and studying it over and over again in high school. You know the feeling, right? You don't want to study something that you study in high school, (laughs) unfortunately, sometimes. Um, And the Middle Ages just seemed so exotic and interesting. Um, And then when I started to attend college in the United States, I was very lucky to have a professor who encouraged me um, to, to, to study the Middle Ages. Uh, he was my favorite um, professor at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and he was a medievalist. And um, he actually wrote a letter to the administration of my university saying that my English was good enough to be admitted um, to, the, to, to, to the program to, for, for the bachelor's degree. So I'm forever indebted to him. And um, when I was seriously considering en- enrolling in, the gra- in graduate school, he said, hey, don't, don't study medieval England or France. Everyone is studying medieval England and France. Um, go for something that is more, more unusual and perhaps less explored. Um, and Spain is a, you know, Spain just recently, this, this we're talking about, kind of the mid-1990s. He said, Spain only recently became a democracy. Um, All the archives are now open and they're still waiting to be explored. So it seemed like a great opportunity to do something that hasn't been been done before or not enough people were doing. And so that's how my interest in ethnic relations and interfaith relations and the Middle Ages and Spain kind of came together into one. And uh, and that's, that's where I am today. Yeah, I think you've already highlighted some of the things that probably interest you the most about your research in medieval Spain, like with your answer to that question. 
Um, but this kind of goes off into the next question, which is, in your opinion, what are some of the most like important aspects of your current research, specifically with like in interfaith coexistence in Spain? Uh, well, as you know, Spain um, holds a certain mystery to kind of the, the general public. Um, when people think medieval Spain, sometimes they think of convivencia, the peaceful coexistence between Jews, Christians, and Muslims in Spain, uh, which uh, I found out to be somewhat of a myth. Uh, there is some truth to it. However, uh, the way it's usually presented, the way it's usually presented uh, to the general public is, is other inaccurate and romanticized. So I decided to, to explore how exactly this convivencia works, whether it exists, um, and uh, in what ways perhaps uh, the term no longer works. Um, so I, I entered this field firmly believing that it's a real thing, that it seemed important to the modern age because here was Spain um, in the Middle Ages. We don't usually think of the Middle Ages as a period of coexistence and tolerance, and yet Spain seemed to contradict that stereotype. And so that was a big draw for me as well to engage with medieval Spanish history uh, because I thought that I had something important to say uh, to the modern world where, of course, um, people of different faiths do not, still do not always live together peacefully. Well, it turned out that the, the connection is a little more tenuous than I originally expected. And perhaps history does not hold such easy examples or answers for, uh, for, for, for the modern society. Uh, I, I do still think that it is worthwhile to explore that area of history. Um, it, I think the main lesson that it conveys to, uh, to, the, modern, uh, to the modern public is that uh, tolerance doesn't have to be uh, love. It's not, it's not about Toleration does not have to be about, uh, you know, just unconditional acceptance. It can be conditional acceptance. Um, it may not entirely agree with our modern notions of uh, uh, religious pluralism and toleration. However, we don't have to agree with someone in order to coexist with that person. And Jews, Christians, and Muslims in the Middle Ages, uh, disagreed on most on most things. They, and the most important thing, which is how to achieve salvation, how to get to heaven. They disagreed about whether the Messiah has come and whether Muhammad was the prophet of God and things like that, pretty fundamental things. Uh, but it is possible to disagree and yet coexist. Uh, you don't have to, to bring everybody to your uh, point of view. And I think that's important to understand. Uh, that's, it's that plurality, plurality of opinion that, at least for a while, was acceptable in medieval Spain. And um, I think that is, in many ways, still is a model for, for, the, for the modern world. So, well, I think you've already answered my question a bit, but could you highlight a few things about your research or this time period that few people know about or that you think are important? Well, I published an article on convivencia, 
uh, right before I came to Rice, and it proved to be rather successful, probably the most successful work that I've ever done. And uh, uh, basically what I tried to do that article is to question the very need for this term. And, um, but I think I kind of, more than causing the trend, I rather kind of caught the trend. Uh, historians were already questioning it even before I kind of stepped into the ring. Um, and so you, you will, you're less likely to find the word convivencia used these days, except in a more kind of critical sense or in quotation marks or as something that you know is out there, this idea of a peaceful problem-free co coexistence, the way that's usually misunderstood. Um, another thing about my research is that, um, well, I began, as a historian, I began with the high middle ages, which is kind of 12th, 13th centuries, which is kind of the, the high point of the medieval period. Lately, I've moved more into the later middle ages, the 14th century, when the whole series of uh, crises afflicted medieval Europe. And I've become a lot more interested in uh, conflict uh, than I, whereas my first book was more about how did people live together? Kind of looking at the small day-to-day, -day, you know, daily coexistence between the, these religious groups, Jews and Christians specifically. Now I'm a lot more interested in how do we get to, to the conflicts? How do you get from coexistence to violence? Because I don't think that it's very well understood, especially in medieval Spain, because everyone has been holding medieval Spain as a, as a kind of model of coexistence in, medieval, in, in, the, in medieval Europe, something very different from what you are seeing in places like England and France and Germany, they were, they were religious persecutions. So, and yet when we get to the late 14th century, suddenly Spain looks a lot like all these other medieval European kingdoms. There is a big wave of violence against Jewish communities in 1391. And um, so how do we get there? That's my, I guess I'm kind of, uh, answering already a different question that is still coming, but uh, right now, I, this is, this is the, 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 qu the question I'm trying to answer. I, I, besides coexistence, I'm also very interested in violence. And I guess this is also is reflected in the courses that I teach at Rice, because almost single, every single one of them, to some extent, addresses both of these things, both coexistence and violence. And they seem to be so diametrically opposed. And yet, I really definitely see connections between the two. And I'm interested to know how do we get from one to the other and whether it's a, sl a slow transition or kind of a sudden break, lack of continuity or something else. So that's, that's what I really fundamentally am trying to resolve as a historian. So I guess now we'll move on to the research part of your work. So what are some of the challenges of researching like the medieval period in Spain? Well, some of the challenges are the same for all medievalists, and that is the lack of primary sources, um, especially in some areas of medieval, medieval Europe. And it's not all the same. 
in places like England and the crown of Aragon, which is the eastern part of Iberia. Uh, the sources are fairly ab abundant. But in places like Castile, which I study, uh, it's very hard to come up with enough documentation to make a convincing argument. So that's, I guess that's the challenge number one. Um, of course, you have to go to the archives um, if you are hoping to, uh, almost invariably, if you want, if it's a historian, if you want to say something new about the subject, you have to do archival research. Uh, another difficulty that is more specific to Spain and the Mediterranean is the multiplicity of languages that one has to know. Um, and uh, to this day, I regret uh, not being able to read Arabic. Uh, if I had an opportunity in my younger years, I definitely would have taken it to, to learn Arabic. Because um, Spain was divided between uh, Islamic kingdoms and the Christian kingdoms. And so it is very rare to find someone who's proficient both in the uh, so-called Christian languages. That is, there are several languages there as it is. There is Latin, there is Catalan, uh, there is medieval Castilian. And of course, there is Arabic and, and there is Hebrew. So it really requires a lot of linguistic prowess to know, you know all these languages. And uh, unfortunately, I, that, I was never quite able to overcome that challenge. Um, and, and also, these are just very different areas of research. There are all, you know, all, of, all of these different um, kind of sub, subdivisions within the, the, the field of medieval Iberian studies. They all require specific training, specific methods, of course, specific languages. Um, so my specialty is Christianity. I was trained as a, as a uh, kind of a cl classic, in, you know, me medievalist. So uh, a Europeanist, medieval Europeanist. Spain, of course, is somewhat different from the rest of Europe. So I have to work. Fortunately, I have colleagues whom I can ask if I have a question or if I have, I have their books and their articles. So if I feel like I am lacking in a specific area of knowledge, for example, about Islamic Spain, um, I have their books and articles and their advice as well. But it's always, you know, when you, the challenge is always to work as a community. History is very much the kind of enterprise that requires uh, collective knowledge and cooperation between, between different, not just different historians, but it's also an interdisciplinary enterprise. So it's a collective work in many ways. Uh, I guess that's also not, perhaps not something that we think about very much, but um, historians cannot be, cannot work in isolation. So we need to talk to each other. And uh, I think nowhere it, it is more true than in the study of um, medieval Iberian and Mediterranean history, because the Mediterranean, if you think about this, Spain and the Mediterranean, everything I've said about Spain is even more true 
you know, on the Mediterranean scale, much larger scale. There's even more there. There's just multiple religious boundaries, multiple languages, um, multiple uh, kingdoms and ethnicities. And it's, it is a real, real challenge to, to be able to kind of feel comfortable in all these different areas of knowledge. So moving on to some of your work as a professor at Rice, uh, could you tell us something, a little bit about what some of your favorite classes are to teach at Rice? And if you could create a new class on a topic that you've researched, what would it be? Yeah, I think about this a lot. You know, I've been, uh, I've been at Rice for 10 years and I created quite a few classes that I really like. Uh, I guess my favorite ones are uh, my upper division classes, Jews and Christians in medieval Europe, um, coexistence in medieval Spain and medieval borderlands. And of course, all of these classes have something to do with, you know, interfaith interaction, borders between lands and societies and cultures and religions and languages. Um, so they, you know, in, of course, medieval Spain is probably the most special of them all because that is my area of research. And so I can put a lot of myself into that class. So that is probably my very favorite class, but I, I also like the other two a great deal. And of course, they're all kind of overlapping. So when I talk about Jews and Christians in medieval Europe, I talk about Spain not just about Spain, but also England and France and other places. When I talk about medieval borderlands in my other class, of course, it all began with my interest in Spain, which is a kind of a classic frontier borderland society in the Middle Ages. So all of these classes are kind of feed upon each other. Um, one of my most popular classes at Rice is called Medieval Violence. And uh, I started teaching that class maybe five or so years ago, and I thought it would be popular um, with, you know, with the Game of Thrones and, uh, and other kind of popular phenomena that, <laughs> that portray the Middle Ages as kind of a violent society. So a, a bit of that was just, you know, to draw students into my classes and kind of hook them on medieval history. But I also really, like I said, I really like to study violence and I think it's, it is absolutely fascinating how, how violence was employed in the Middle Ages in so, very, in so many ways by private individuals, but also by states and how those things were often in conflict. It was kind of a tug of war, no pun intended, between the, the state and the private individuals who has the monopoly on violence, who can engage in violence. And that kind of has become this, the major theme of my class. You know, who gets to engage in violence and how does, how is that different from how violence is employed today? So uh, I always try to put new readings in, into that class and also kind of take this as an opportunity to learn something new something that is kind of beyond my area of expertise. For example, the Vikings. I, I love to study the Vikings, even though I was not, I'm not really a specialist on that, but students seem to love it as well. And there are so many different, absolutely fascinating primary source and secondary source readings on the Vikings. So I really enjoy that. Um, 
And as for the courses that I'd like to teach, well, uh, that's, that's kind of a hard one. Um, but I, I'm actually thinking of, I would like to co-teach some more classes. I really like teaching with my colleagues. One, one course that I've been co-teaching now for a number of years is the Medieval Mediterranean with Professor Paula Sanders. And I really, really enjoy doing that. I, my dream, and I, I think I've mentioned it to her, uh, my dream is to teach a course with um, Professor Vlaban Lilar. I have this, I, this idea for a course, uh, a kind of a comparative course in which we would, we would look at the Emperor Jehangir and Alfonso El Sabio. Uh, Alfonso Isabi was the king of Castile in the 13th century, and the Emperor Jehangir, of course, is the, uh, the Indian Mughal dynasty. So, and they have certain parallels. You know, I think there are some really fascinating parallels that we could present to the students. They were, they both ruled over multi-ethnic societies, multi-religious societies. They had a brilliant court culture. They were patrons of the arts. Um, they, and, and they both faced rebellions from, from their sons. <laughs> so, um, so kind of the court of Jihangir and the court of Alfonso El Sabio, so medieval Spain, Mughal, India, uh, they don't seem to belong together. Obviously they're not in any way connected geographically, but wouldn't it be just an absolutely fascinating comparative, comparative uh, history course. I also would love to teach at some point uh, an even broader course on the global Middle Ages. As you know, I, am a, I'm, I just became the director of the Medieval and Early Modern Studies program. And we're trying to move the program in that direction to make it more global so that, um, you know, when people say medieval, they usually associate it with something European, European history, but that's no longer the case. Uh, medievalists study everything from Europe to Africa to India to China, and people say medieval China, um, medieval Japan. Um, so uh, Susan Huang in the um, Transnational Asian Studies Department uh, actually suggested this idea that she's an art historian. I think she works on medieval Chinese painting. So, so that a course like that would be both multi uh, interdisciplinary, but also global. And I think it would be really, it would be very difficult, undoubtedly, but it would be really, really fascinating thing to do, to, to do this global history of the Middle Ages. Um, another course that I'm thinking of doing perhaps at some point is, because I'm right now I'm working on uh, uh, the history of one city, Seville in, in Spain. I might teach a course on medieval cities or, or specifically on um, the urban culture in medieval Spain. And I'm also, I also have a strong interest in material culture and architecture and, and painting, which I developed quite recently. Um, I now try to incorporate material culture virtually in every single course that I teach. And so that would be really, good opportunity maybe to have an upper division course in which we explore 
medieval Iberian cities in depth, their planning, their architecture, how they were governed, uh, how they were passed from Muslim hands, from Christians to Muslims and then to Christians again. So all of that would be, uh, would be a part of a course like that. So endless possibilities. What can you tell us about your upcoming book? What does research for it look like at this stage? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm writing a book that is uh, trying to explain the causes of the anti-Jewish riots in 1391. There was this big wave of violence against the Jews that began in Seville uh, in uh, June of 1391. And I am, uh, I've been doing, I've, I've started this, this research in 2014. And uh, when I first uh, took a trip to the archives in Seville, and I've since then I've made several trips to Seville. I'm mostly working at the Cathedral Archive in Seville, and I've unearthed some really interesting documents about the the, the man who is considered the instigator of of this violence, who for many years, at least fifteen years, went around Seville preaching anti-Jewish sermons and inciting hatred against the Jews. And so um, I found records that uh, pertain to his activities in Seville and his, um, uh, his, his property holdings, kind of his social status, his economic status. I'm trying, to ex I'm trying to explain what was driving him, why he hated the Jews so much, and, you know, what was, was it just about religion or did he have other motivations and considerations was it also about sharing space with the jews because he was a canon at the cathedral of seville so he was he kind of belonged both to the secular society and the uh, the ecclesiastical society in the city and and he was he was friends with some of you know seville's ruling oligarchs um so he was very well placed uh, very well respected. He acted as a royal judge. So all of these things um, are virtually unknown, They're, or maybe known just to a few people who have studied the archival documents. So for the first time, this will become known to a much wider um, group of medievalists and the, and the general public. So uh, I decided that I will try to explain the, the riots of 1391 by explaining this man, his, whose name was Ferran Martinez, he was the Archdeacon of Ethica. And um, so I've done most of my archival research. So I have all these documents um, that I either transcribed. They don't, see, at that archive, they don't allow historians to take pictures of the documents. So you have to sit there and transcribe every document. Or you can, you can order them <laughs> to be uh, phot uh, photographed, and it's quite expensive. <laughs> so some of them I have in my computer, the photographs of the documents that I still need to transcribe. Most of them I've already transcribed. So the archival part of it is done. So I'm, uh, I, I've written parts of uh, several chapters for the book. And... I'm not teaching in the spring, so this is kind of my moment to take my time and um, kind of get into this 
on this writing schedule and write every day. You know, the secret to writing a book is doing it every day, even if it's just half an hour. If you just write half a page or a page, you're making progress toward your um, finished product. And so that is my plan to work on my chapters every day and hopefully finish several chapters at least by the end of next summer and uh, find a publisher. I already have several in mind. So um, I think it's, it's looking very, very promising, very good. I think, it's, uh, I think it will fill kind of an, an empty spot in the scholarship because believe it or not, at this moment, there is no book on medieval Seville in English at all. Um, there is no book on anti-Jewish rights in Castile. There's one on Aragon, but not in Castile. So all of this will be completely new. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping to start a conversation about, about why, why we have fairly normal relations between Jews and Christians in the 13th century. And then by the end of the 14th century, suddenly we have this just terrible outbreak of uh, violence against the Jewish community. So that's, that's, my, that's my project. You guys have any other questions? I think that was our last question. I don't have any other like questions. Um, do you guys have anything else? No, thank you for coming, taking the time out of your schedule. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Arish. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I might have to go and make cranberry sauce now for the turkey dinner tomorrow. <laughs> that is understandable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to, to my uh, ravings. <laughs> no, it was Take very care. interesting. Yeah. Okay, bye. Have a nice Thanksgiving. Oh. You too. Bye. <laughs> we want to thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to check out the Rice Historical Review Virtual Edition alongside picking up your hard copy, which is coming soon. In the meantime, check out our other podcasts and short form pieces at www.ricehistoricalreview.org. Thank you for listening. And remember, we further the future by promoting the past.